Okay, well, it was your question, right? Okay, I wasn't sure if it was yours or Deanna's. All right, well, we are going to do, um, deal with here, how to study the Bible. So, there are a million ways we could have went about this, I guess. Um, it was kind of hard to try to figure out what direction to go with it, so... Here's, here's what I want to do. I have a few things that I want to say just sort of introductory, um, kind of just encouraging us uh, in studying the Bible in general. And then I have kind of a long list here. I don't even know how many, maybe 10 or so different things, helps, just things that over the years that I have tried to do studying the Bible. And of course, if anybody else has anything, um, feel free to add it, but we'll just kind of start working through them after I mention a few things. So what I want to do um, first is ask this question. Uh, when we're talking about studying the Bible, we have got to be convinced that actually doing that is essential for our Christian life. Learning principles on how to do it um, all the techniques, all the resources, anything that we could use to study it better is going to be of zero use if we are not convinced that we need to study the Bible, that we do need to read it, that we do need to be in it. And so I want to ask you all, I'm not necessarily looking for raised hands, but, but for you to answer internally for yourself, are you absolutely convinced that you will not have a healthy Christian life unless you give your life to reading the Scriptures. Are you absolutely convinced of that? Are you absolutely convinced that there is no such thing as a healthy Christian life unless you are devoted to the Bible? Because I think a lot of times we think that we can get by in the Christian life without doing that. And I want you to look at a passage here. Go to Ezra. It's uh, just past... Chron Second Chronicles, and I want you to hear what it says about Ezra. And what I want you to do is determine for yourself if this is something that you can say about yourself. And if it's not, I mean, brother, my encouragement would be that make a determination now that this would be something that you will say about yourself in the future. Ezra 7, look with me at verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of Yahweh and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So there's three aspects of this. But don't, don't get confused. The second two cannot come unless the first one is in place. He sa it says here that Ezra set his heart to study. That's number one. He determined in his heart, I'm going to do this. I am going to study this book. Then he's going to do it. So he's determined here not to just be a hearer, so to speak, but a doer. And to teach it. Now, I recognize that maybe some of you think, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't sit in this seat, I don't do the teaching, I don't preach.
But you have a responsibility still to teach. You have a responsibility still, if you're a parent, to teach your children. You have a responsibility, even if you, even if you have, uh, you know, no one else that you're discipling or children, you are called to disciple the nations. So in part, you're to go and preach, people are to be converted, and you're to teach them. So here, what it says of Ezra is something that needs to be said of each and every one of us. We have got to set our heart to study this book, to do what it says, and to teach what it says. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, and it's very much connected to it. Maybe you say, okay, I'm convinced I'm supposed to read it. But here's what happens. We get convinced we're supposed to study the book, to pour our lives into it, and we are not diligent to do it every day. And that is an indication that we actually don't believe the first point. If we do not get in this book every day, we do not believe that it is necessary. There is just, brethren, there's no other way around it. If you don't get into God's book and read it and pour over it and see what he says to you, you cannot say that it is important to you. It, sh it just doesn't fit. And the, and the thing is, and, and, and you know, you guys maybe can attest to this in your own lives at different points, or um, certainly you just know the truth, that the Christian life will begin to deteriorate very quickly as soon as we distance ourselves from pouring over God's Word. If we do not have daily communion with the Lord in this book, your life will fall apart spiritually. It will absolutely fall apart. You can go, and I don't know how many days, you know, people have done 40-day fast just like Jesus did and others did in the Bible. I don't know how long you can go without food, but you can go a pretty long time. And you can even go a fair number of days without water. But I'm telling you, you might not see it on the outside physically, but the moment you begin to distance yourself away from the Word of God every day, there is, you're, you're not staying the same. You are going downward. It is a deterioration instantaneously the moment we get away from this. And, uh, you know, you remember Paul. He is in prison. He has gone his life... Uh, in many cases without a lot of things, without a lot of things that we might think as comforts and even necessities at times. But you find him in prison and he writes to Timothy and what are the things that he tells him to bring? Anybody remember? Yeah. He tells him, bring, bring my cloak. It's probably cold. And he tells him, you bring, you bring the books. And I, brother, and I want us to be like that, that this is for us more than our daily food. And listen, the Bible does not give you, I want to make this point, but I, I, I want to say something in connection with it. The Bible does not give you a rule list in terms of here's how much time you need to spend in the Bible every day. It doesn't even give you necessarily a rule list that you got to do it every day. But again, be aware, the Bible says that Satan is prowling around and he is looking for someone to devour and if you've ever watched any of those you know animal planet or whatever it is that that they that they have what animal does the lion go after though yeah the the so the weak ones because they're usually by themselves. but he's going after the weak ones 
And if you have an antelope that hasn't eaten in, you know, however long or whatever, and it's weak, that's the one the lion's going to get. And if we are not in the word and we become weak, you are going to be a target for the devil. He is going to target you out and attack you because you have no strength from the word. And I want you to see another text here in this regard. Isaiah, I've mentioned this passage before. Isaiah 50. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. Isaiah 54 and 5. This is a, a passage here um, really sort of prophesying, speaking of the Lord Jesus. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord Yahweh has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to, the, to hear as those who are taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. You can go on and you can read there. I gave my back to those who strike, my cheek to those who pull out the beard. These prophecies of Jesus. But see what's said of him there. Morning by morning he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord Jesus Christ, day by day, was going out and seeking communion with His Father. And if we look at Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, and He found this to be a necessity in His life, I mean, how much more for any normal person to get with the Lord day by day, that you would be sustained, that you'd have something to offer your brethren. You see, He says here, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. I mean, brethren, if you want something to, in, in terms of a help to be a benefit to your brothers and sisters, you're going to have to get it from here. This, what we live in and how we encourage and build up one another is not by the world's things. You're not going to go to the world and say, oh, what does the world say about how we should do this? Let me just bring that over here into the church and we'll just apply these principles. If we want to build one another up, we have got to go to the Word. We've got to know what it says. Here's my brother in this situation. How can I help him? What do I got from God that can help him? But we got to be in it. And if Jesus Christ is going morning by morning, having his ear awakened by the Father, brethren, you got to do it. You got to do it day by day giving your ear to the Word of God. So, that is just some things I want to say, uh, hopefully, that you would be motivated to do it. Now, let me say something about what we mean when we say Bible study. Um, I may have interchanged terms here between reading or getting in God's Word and Bible study and using all those interchangeably. But I want to make a distinction between what we're going to talk about today, which, which we'll just call for the sake of right now Bible study, and just kind of reading. Because when we're talking about Bible study, we are talking about something that is significantly more serious than just some sort of casual perusing of the Bible. The, this is not, we're not, what we're not talking about here is just kind of nonchalant, you know, just skimming the Bible or maybe just listening to it off in the distance 
or even just listen to a songs about the Bible or whatever. That is not what we're talking about. When we're talking about getting down to studying the Bible, we're talking about engaging with the Word of God where we come out with some kind of life-altering, spirit-empowering, God-manifesting meetings with God in the Word. That's what we want. That's what we're looking for when we talk about studying the Bible. And if you want that, you're going to have to dig for it. This is not going to come easily. Oh, look at this. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Now, make, make notice of that. It is the glory of God to conceal things. God is in the business of hiding things from the casual observer. And that's not, that's not just, you know, some idea that, oh, well, you know, God hides archaeological things under the ground. God is in the business of hiding truth, hiding things in His Word, not so that they won't be found, but so that the casual observer, the one who's just going to kind of skim the surface, is not going to see it. But those who are willing to dig, those who want to be like the kings and search things out, God wants people to do that. He's not hiding it so that we don't see it. He's hiding it so that He would get glory by us searching it out and finding it. Look at another one, Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2, look at starting in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Again, I don't know if you've ever seen any shows or movies where people are searching for hidden treasure, but it is not typically an easy process. You know, they're going in caves. They're, you know, doing whatever things they're doing to try to find a treasure. And we're here called to get into the Word of God and look for it as though you're digging for treasure. This is not some light thing. This is going to take discipline. This is going to take effort for us to, to find what we're looking for. One more passage. Psalm 27. Again, we read these statements in the Bible, and I want them to be the kind of statements that are on our lips. Psalm 27. Look at what... David says here, verses 7 and 8, Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not from your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. 
So this needs to be us. Uh, we've obviously looked at a number of Bible passages here that are saying to you, search it out as for hidden treasure. It's the glory of God to conceal. Kings are those who seek it out. We've looked at you know, Isaiah 50, Jesus saying, His ears open morning by morning. You can find any number of passages in the Bible that are telling you, seek Him out. And David says, Lord, you say, seek my face, and I'm telling you, your face I'm seeking. And that needs to be us. That needs to be us, to seek Him out in the Scriptures. All right? So, with that being said, here are, let's begin to run through some of these help some of these principles uh, for studying the Bible. The first one, this is undoubtedly out of anything else that I can tell you about studying the Bible, this is the most important. This is the most important, the primary role of prayer in studying your Bible. Now, I know that might be like, well, yeah, we know prayer, <laughs> duh, but I'm telling you, if you skip this over and you do not give place to this, you will not get treasure out of the Word. You won't get it. And we need to be concerned here. Now, this is something that, I, again, I'm not, I'm not going to ask for raised hands, but years of my Christian life went by where I would sit down to start to read the Bible and it's like, I just, I just open the book and I just start reading. I just, I'm going to read Galatians today. Just open it and just start reading Galatians. Anybody think anything about that right out of the gate that is just shocking? Huh? Okay. I, I think a lot of times probably people do this. They just, you know, they get, they get whatever time they have, they set it, you know, to get their reading time. Just open the Bible, they just start reading it. It's like, <laughs> we're going to a book that God says it is His glory to conceal matters, and we are not going to the Lord saying, God, open my eyes that I can see, that I can understand, that I can know what you've said. We do not give place many times Christians are not giving place to saying, before I do anything with this book, I am going to get before the Lord and ask Him to open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your law. God, open my eyes. I mean, the Word of God itself says these things are spiritually discerned. That means you, in your natural state, cannot understand and cannot discern them. Brethren, if we're going to open the book, we have got to give ourselves to prayer right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Before you read a word in this book, plead with God that He would give you insight and understanding for it. If you pass that over, I can promise you this. If you pass that over, God will not give you things in His Word that you would have otherwise. I can promise you that. And, and on the back end of that, after we've prayed... We've diligently asked the Lord to give us insight into the Word, and then we read the Word, and God gives us insight into it. What should we then do afterward? Give ourselves to prayer again. This has got to blanket the whole thing. 
If we're going to give ourselves to this book, brethren, you got to blanket the whole thing in prayer on the front end and on the back end. Asking God to give you insight. And then as God gives you, I mean, I mean, not just even not just set it on the bookends, but I mean, at times as you're reading, maybe stop and just pray about what you read. Pray and thank God for what you read. I'm telling you, this has got to cover your consumption of the Bible. Because when we think about here uh, communion with the Lord and our communication with God, this is God's communication with us. And our communication with the Lord is through prayer. And that communication has got to have some good, good channels. You want to be receiving from the Lord and communicating to the Lord. And that has got to be mingled together. I want you to see a passage here. Go to 1 John. Now I know, when we read this passage, some are going to squirm in their seats. But I want you to feel the weight of this passage. 1 John chapter 2. This is why I'm saying prayer, I mean, it, it just simply can't be overstated. This is why I'm saying prayer is the most important factor in your Bible reading. And, and specifically, asking the Spirit of God to give you enlightenment. 1 John 2, starting in verse 26. Listen carefully to what this says. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received. Now that's the Spirit. Uh, if you want to test that, you can go back up to verse 20 and 21, and you can see that that's exactly what he's talking about. He says in verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One. Down there he's talking about the anointing they received. Verse 27, the anointing you received from Him uh, abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Now I want, I want you to see that again. Verse 27, the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. What does that verse say? Someone in here tell me, what, does that verse, what did that verse just say? Okay, now I know there might be a million things we want to try to go, oh, hold on a second. What about this? And what about that? And what are you doing in that seat and talking to us and teaching us? And we don't need anybody to teach us. And we're going to deal with some of that later. But I do not want you to pass over this verse. And I do not want you to think that this verse says the opposite of what it says. So many people come to passages like this in the Bible and they read it and they say, well, this can't mean that because that, that means then we don't have teachers. So it can't mean that. It means actually that you do need a teacher and you can't understand unless you have a teacher. And I know we probably have different things in our mind about different passages in the Bible or whatever. You know, what, what, what does, uh, what does the, the Ethiopian eunuch say to Philip as Philip comes up to his chariot? Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? What does he say? How can I know unless someone teaches me? But you better remember that Ethiopian eunuch is not a Christian yet and does not have the Spirit of God yet. 
This says, you have the Spirit. He abides in you. That anointing, He's in you. And He says here, you have no one to need, you, you have no need of anyone to teach you. Do not wipe that off the table. That is a word from God that if you have the Spirit of God, He will teach you. Brethren, I'm, I want you to understand. Again, I, I know some of this might sound really radical. But if you give place to prayer and seeking the Spirit of God to give you enlightenment. You know, someone, uh, Martin Luther had said uh, during the Reformation, he's talking to this priest, and he told, or wait, I don't think it was Luther, I think it was Tyndale. Okay, <laughs> okay, I was confused for a second. Okay, uh, William Tyndale, translator of the Bible into English, he's talking to a priest, and he was telling the priest that his intent to translate the Bible into English is that a plow boy, a, a farmer boy, a kid, who, kid who works on a farm, will know more of the scriptures than any priest. And I'm telling you, that if you give place to prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit to guide you, brethren, you can receive insight from the Spirit of God in His Word that, that goes beyond John Calvin and goes beyond Martin Luther and goes beyond any, you know, Vody Bauckham and James White and any other big name you can think of. God can give you insight into His Word that none of those men or women know. That is just biblical, brethren. It's just biblical to believe that if I give myself to prayer and I ask the Spirit of God to give me insight, that God will do it. And sometimes God will give you insight into something and, and you might read a, a million commentaries and they don't have the answer. And God can give you the answer to something. You know why? Because God knows the answer to every text in the Bible. God knows the interpretation of every passage in the Bible. And no man knows the interpretation of every passage in the Bible. And if you go to the one who knows, to God, and you ask him, God, you know, you wrote this book. Tell me what it says. I'm telling you, brethren, do not believe that because you haven't, uh, you know, written some 10 volumes set on doctrine, or you haven't been a Christian for 40 years, that God through His Spirit can't give you insight into His Word. That is just not true. And I want you convinced of that. And I'll give place later to trying to understand how to use resources and sermons and commentaries and all of that. We, we'll talk about that. But I want you convinced that when you come to the Bible, and if you give yourself to prayer, and you seek the Spirit of God to give you enlightenment. Brethren, He'll give you insight into the Word. The Spirit that abides in you. The fact of the matter is, and I, and I, I will uh, tell you all this just because I, I want you to know I believe that. When I, when I meet with these two brothers every week, um, I don't know if they catch it, but almost every time I pray and I say, Lord, I know they don't need me to teach them. They have your spirit. So I'm praying, Lord, that you teach all of us. 
We're all here. We're trying to open the word. Lord, we're asking that you'd give us insight. And I want you to believe that passage. Okay. The next thing. So the first thing, prayer. The next thing is this. Some of these are just going to be sort of generic principles, and then some of them will be actual practical things. Second thing is this, that you would give your best hours to Bible reading and to prayer. And I will say this too, because I know that it's probably been on the lips of either everyone in the room or almost everyone in the room. No one in here can make the excuse that they don't have time. You cannot make the excuse. Everybody here has enough time to open up this book and to study it. Everybody here has enough time to do that. You cannot make the excuse that you don't have time. Don't make it, I won't listen to it, and I won't believe it anyway. So everybody here has enough time to get into this Word. I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here saying you need to study the Bible for eight hours a day. Nobody here can do that. I'm not making that some kind of qualification. But what I'm saying is everybody here can make time and sufficiently give themselves to study the Word. And you know what I find? Most of the time, the people that say they don't have time, they are the people that have the most time. Because the people that don't have time, they're usually pretty busy doing other things for the Lord. And you know what? They're doing that and they're going to make time for God. Most of the time, the people that say they don't have time are the ones with the most time. And again, I want you to see here a text in regards to this. Malachi chapter 1. This is what I mean when I say give your best hours to prayer and Bible reading. Malachi 1 I want to start reading in verse 6. This is what God is saying to the Israelites. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says Yahweh of hosts to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that Yahweh's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those who are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says Yahweh of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show you favor to any of you, says Yahweh of hosts. So you see here these people, God is saying, you guys are offering the lame and the sick, and you're bringing these things in, and you're offering these things to me, and that is evil. You're not abiding by the commands that I gave you. And then he asked them, you present that to your governor. You think he'll accept that? Whatever you're doing in this half-hearted way, you present that to your governor. You present that in your cases, you know, some, go, doing something half-hearted, you present that to your boss. You present that to the administrator over your work. You tell me if he's going to accept that. And brethren, I'm telling you, when we come to the Word of God, don't present something to him in some half-hearted way that you would not do for your employer. 
Don't do for God what you would not do for your work. And many times that happens. We give God some kind of second rate, you know, part way effort that we wouldn't even do in our own employment. Brethren, don't do for God what you would not do for those, for your governors, for your employers. Don't come to your Bible reading and skim through it at the end of the night when you're about to fall asleep. When you can't focus, you can't think, you can't pray, and you have no heart for it. Don't do that kind of thing. What are you going to expect to get out of it if you're doing it halfway with your eyes half closed? Don't expect to get anything out of that. Don't, don't do your Bible reading by just, you know, putting the audio on while you're brushing your teeth and eating your breakfast, giving halfway attention to the thing. You would not do that kind of thing at your work. So don't do it for God. If you want to draw near to the Lord, brethren, you're going to have to give your best time and your best effort, and God will honor that. God will honor that. For those who seek Him out and they do it diligently, God will honor that. Now, I don't know what your best hours are. Everybody's got, of course, a different schedule, and, and I'm not going to sit here and say, you got to do it at this time or you got to do it at that time. But whatever hours you can make the best use of for the Lord, make the best use of them. If that's getting up in the morning, then get up in the morning. If you got a schedule where, uh, you know, you have a block there of, of you know, an hour or two in the middle of the day where you can get alone and do something, then do that. If you got to do it at midnight, then do it at midnight. I don't care when you got to do it, but give the best time that you can, most, most, you know, separated time to the Lord to read the word and to pray. Give your best hours to him. Don't give him some sloppy seconds and then expect some huge blessing. The next thing, some structure. Now, this again is just dependent upon who you are as an individual. Um, if, especially so, if you are prone to neglect your reading or, or neglect your study, uh, if you don't have some kind of structure, then use some kind of Bible reading plan. Now, I know most everybody in here probably already does that. But if you don't already do that, and if you, if you, you know, kind of get lax on it and you don't have something to keep you on track, then get a Bible reading plan. We had one that almost everybody in the church was doing at one point. And you could do all kinds of different things. There's who knows how many reading plans out there on the internet. There's most of the time even reading plans in the back of Bibles. So there's a million different kinds of reading plans. And you can even do things. So here's a couple of things that I've done over the years. Just trying to mix things up. Um, you know, a lot of times what people will do is they think, okay, I got to, I'm going to give myself to reading the Bible. Start in Genesis, read Revelation. <laughs> and they get, you know, they get like to the beginning part of Numbers and they're like, all right, I'm done. And that, that's not a great, sometimes that can be fine, but a lot of times it just doesn't work for, for people who aren't, you know, uh, really disciplined and, and, and uh, diligent about their studies. So get some kind of Bible plan maybe that, that puts you in a number of places in the Bible. Um, there's times where I've done things where I've picked a book in the Bible, 
say Galatians, and I read it every day uh, for a week or two. Um, and, and I just, I, I read the whole book in the morning or whenever time, and I do that every day for, for a number of days. And then you pick a different one. You read it every day for a number of days. You can do something like that. Um, there was a time where I really wanted to read the, New, the Old Testament a lot, and so I made a Bible plan where I read the Old Testament in 60 days, and that was exhausting. But you can do anything. You can, you can find any kind of plan or way in which to structure your reading so that you don't get, you don't get off track. If you're prone to, to lose you know, your direction, if you don't have structure, then get something like that. And there's, there's tons of different reading plans out there. Um, another thing. This is the next one. Be realistic. What I mean by that is don't try to bite off more than you can chew. Don't try to do more than you can and end up getting overwhelmed. Because what can happen is something like this. We do a study. We talk about Bible reading and people are going, yep, I'm going to really dig in and I'm going to read for, you know, two hours a day. I'm going to read 14 chapters a day. And you just you try to do something that's just not feasible. That's not realistic for you. And, and you start and you just, you just peter out because you just can't maintain it. So what's better is make a commitment for something that you can do. A, a few chapters, three, four chapters. Commit to that and do it. And do it every day. Be consistent with it and then grow. Don't, don't make some kind of you know, rash oath that I'm going I'm to study the Bible for two hours now. If you, if you haven't been diligent to be doing that kind of thing in the first place, you're just not going to make it. You're not going to be able to hold on to that kind of thing. So don't overdo it. Make a commitment that you can do and stick to it and be consistent with it. And the other thing is, not everybody has the same you know, abilities, the same interests even. Not everybody has the same capabilities of reading or even likes reading as much. So not everybody's going to fall into the same kind of thing here. People are going to people are going to, you know, space themselves out depending upon what their own sort of personality is like. So but again, just purpose and plan something that you can do and you can commit to and make it work. Be consistent with it. Another thing tied into this uh, in being realistic is to not get bogged down. Anybody been there where you read a paragraph, and then you read it again, and then you read it again? You're like on the 10th read-through, and you're still kind of like, what in the world is this saying? That's going to happen. Um, don't get so bogged down where you just you can't continue onward. I mean, if you get stuck somewhere, if you get confused, if you get to a place where it, it just becomes kind of like, you know, you're, you're just not able to really focus and you're, you're losing track, don't get bogged down on something like that. There will be times where certain things in the Bible will not seem to you as interesting as at other times. A lot of times Christians that are uh, not very, um, have not spent a ton of time in the Word, they read things like Deuteronomy or Leviticus or, you know, Isaiah. And they're like, what in the world is going on here? I don't even know how this applies to me. It becomes confusing and it's just like, it's just too hard to read. 
And I want you to know, you don't, you, what you don't have to do is get in a place where you're thinking, all right, I just can't move forward until I grasp every bit of this. You're just not going to do that. You got to be able to say, okay, I'm going to just keep reading here. I don't know what's going on there. I'm going to just keep reading here. And over time, as I come back to it, you will be able to pick up more. And then you keep reading and you come back again, you pick up a little more. And then you keep reading, you come back to it again, you pick up a little more. Over time, you will be able to begin to not only make sense of those things, but they will become more and more interesting to you. Because as you learn and you begin to piece together things of the Bible, you're going to realize that Leviticus actually has a lot to do with the New Testament. It's not just some random thing thrown back there that doesn't have anything to do with you. But when you first read it through, you kind of go, oh, geez, okay, the sacrifice, and here's where the fat goes, and here's where this, and what is going on here, and, you know, the long lobe of the liver. He said that like 14 times in that chapter. You know, the, but... You're going to, don't, don't get bogged down. Just keep going. Just continue to move through. And as you come back to it again, God will give you more insight and he'll give you more encouragement from it. I just, I just went through, um, uh, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible again, uh, maybe in the last couple of months. And, um, right before that, I had just finished a thing reading through the gospels and I'll be honest with you, I was actually more intrigued going through the Pentateuch again than I was in the Gospels. And that, that really has not ever really happened in my life up until this point. There, was, there were reasons I was really wanting to just dig into, you know, what's going on in Numbers and Leviticus and some of these connections with the Exodus. And I mean, but those were things, I've been, you know, I've read through those books, you know, dozens and dozens of times. And it's like you really, a lot of it, you're not catching right away. So don't get bogged down, brethren. Some things won't seem interesting right away. You're going to read something like Isaiah, and it's like, okay, judgment on this nation, judgment on this nation, judgment on this nation, judgment on Israel, and then redemption in this nation. It's like, oh my goodness, it's just going on and on and on. But, but as you continue on and you come back over time, you're going to be able to track with some of that, and it will be more and more encouraging over time. So don't get bogged down there in that. Okay, the next thing. Again, like I said, some of these are just sort of general. This is important. It is very important when you're coming to the Bible to come. I kind of put two titles here. Come with a fresh mind and to come humble. So the first one, what I mean is to come with a fresh mind is to not assume that you already know everything about what you're about to read. Uh, don't assume that you already understand or know what the chapter is about or what the verse is about. Don't assume that you already got it because you heard someone talk about it. Going to the scriptures and doing that is not the way that you're going to get insight. Coming to the Bible and coming humbly is going to be essential. Too many people, brethren, too many people come to the Word and they think they already have it figured out. They think they already have this chapter figured out. They think they already got this book figured out and they don't need any more enlightenment. They don't need God to show them anything new out of this thing. And I'm going to tell you right now, this, this may make you feel uncomfortable, but I want you to know it because I just it's true. I probably... Well, not probably. This is definitely the case. I have certainly 
never known more about the Bible than I do now, and I also have never felt more of my ignorance of what is going on in many places in the Bible than I do now. And I don't know how that works. I'm just telling you that is the truth. I have been studying this book for 11 or 12 years, and I absolutely understand more of it and, and, and know more of it and have, have memorized more of it and, and can direct myself in it better than I ever have in the past. And I am more confused about a lot of things in this book than I thought I was five years ago. And if we don't come humbly to the Bible, you're never going to grow in that. If you just think, well, I got this thing figured out. I got I, yeah, Romans, pfft, easy peasy. You know, Philippians, pfft, I got it. Revelation, what is there to learn? The, if you come like that and not humble, brethren, you know what the scripture says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And don't think about that just in terms of salvation. Brother, if you come proud to the Bible, you're not going to get no grace from the Lord. But if you come humble and you say, Lord, I don't want to pretend like I already got this figured out. Will you teach me? Enlighten me. Help me to see, Lord. We have to come humbly to the Bible. I want to read this quote to you. This is from Jeffrey Thomas. This is a guy who preached at the fellowship conference. He says, do not expect to master the Bible in a day or a month or a year. And I'm going to add ever. He didn't put that in here, but I'm going to tell you, don't expect to master the Bible ever. Rather, expect often to be puzzled by its contents. It is not all equally clear. Great men of God often feel like absolute novices when they read the word. The apostle Peter said that there were some things hard to understand in the epistles of Paul. And I am glad that he wrote those words, because I have often felt them. Amen. Do not think. I've had this conversation, I don't know, maybe I've had it with Sergio a number of times, but I've had this conversation with a number of different people. And um, there, there is, there's this sense in which we feel like, oh, I just, I can't wait to like get there wherever there is we just can't wait till we get there because once i get there then i'll know and then i'll understand and everything will be good but i'm just telling you wherever the there is once you get there you're going to realize whoa man the there is like way past where i thought it was i thought the end was there it's not there um and and you will you will often be puzzled by things in the bible and as christians especially as those in the midst of a church. Brethren, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed to say, well, I read through that a bunch of times and I don't get it. Because you know what? There's probably a lot of other people that don't get it. Um, and I wouldn't expect that you're going to get a perfect handle on everything in the Bible, or even half say. But uh, anyway, so don't let that discourage you. Okay, here's some practical things. First thing is this. You need to be asking questions of the text. Asking questions of the text. Um, don't be afraid of asking questions about the Bible. It is not impious to ask a question about why this is doing this, why it's saying that, why is he doing that. It is not impious, it is not improper to ask questions about the Bible. Brethren, you should be talking to your Bible. Why do you say that? Why, where does that... 
I don't understand, Paul. Why are you doing that? That is how we ought to be. There's a, uh, one of the guys that we support in Myanmar. Um, his name's Andy. He has talked about before that uh, the little children, they, he said something about how the little children asked him one time about this line that goes across on his head. And he told the kids, that's for me scowling at this book, wondering what in the world is that supposed to say? But when we come to the scriptures, brethren, we got to be asking questions. Because if we just pretend like things don't exist, you're not, you're not going to grow in it and you're not going to learn it. I mean, if you just, let me, let me give you an example. Maybe this, I'm not trying to throw out more questions than answers, but I want you to see what I'm talking about. Listen to this, okay? You don't have to turn there necessarily. I'm just, I want to read to you two passages, okay? Romans chapter 3, verse 28. Listen to this carefully. Romans 3, 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Everybody got that? Romans 3, 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works in the law. All right, now let me read you this. James 2, 24. You see, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Anybody, you hear that? Let me read it to you again. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Here's a different one. Where'd it go? 24. Yeah. A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Brother, you, you got to come to the passages and go, all right, I'm going to ask a question here. How can that be? How is that not a contradiction? How do we understand that? I mean, to come to the scriptures and go, okay, how is it that Jesus grew in wisdom and he's God? How is it that it's, Jesus says he doesn't know the time and the hour that he's coming? How is that? How does that work? How should we understand that? Asking questions of the Bible, it's going to help you not only understand what is being said, but why it's being said. Why does Paul use a certain kind of language over here? Hi, boy, I can't hold you. <laughs> Listen to this. This is a quote from Piper. He says, Take two hours to ask ten questions of Galatians 2.20. He just uses a random verse. Take two hours to ask ten questions of Galatians 2.20, and you will gain a hundred times the insight you would have attained by reading 30 pages of the New Testament or any other book. Slow down, ponder, and chew. And I, I'm telling you, as I've read through the scriptures, one of the things that has been the biggest help is to slow down and ask questions. Why did he say this? What's it connected to? How come he doesn't deal with that later? Why does, it, why does he mention this and then it's like it just falls off the table? He doesn't even address it anymore. Seems like a pretty big point to me. Why doesn't he bring it up again? Asking questions like that, you're going to begin to see why things are happening the way they're happening. So you need to ask questions of the text and don't think to yourself that somehow that makes you unholy if you say, well, hold on a second. How can that be? And, and one thing I very much appreciate, um, I know Aaron and uh, Manny uh, know this because I do it to them almost every time they're done preaching is, the sermon ends and I'm like, I got something I got to ask them about. Or how do they, you know, you know, 
how, what do you think about that? Or what do you think about this? Um, and we ought to be that way. I mean, I, I love it when you guys, after, if I'm done preaching, you guys are coming up and asking questions or trying to figure out how does it connect to this or what did you mean by that? Um, to ask questions about the Bible, you're going to learn more. And, and, and you're not just going to assume things on the surface. It is very good to do that. So slow down, chew, ask questions. Another practical thing, um, I have this listed here as mark things up. Um, I know not everybody here likes to write in their Bibles, so I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not saying you got to write in your Bible. Come on. <laughs> hey, I think you should. I've gotten Sergio to do it. So, look, I think you need to. I think you should write in your Bible. I'm going to say it. You should write in your Bible, but you don't have to if you don't want to. But what I'll say is this: if you don't want to write in your Bible, you should find some way to, you know, a notebook or something where you are able to take notes, because look, if you want to be able to understand things better, you're going to have to be able to track with what's happening. And if you have no way to connect things back, I don't, you know, I don't, some of you maybe have never <clears throat> seen some of the things that I, you know, the, the, my style of writing in my Bible, but um, it often gets mistaken for a NFL playbook because there's lines drawn all over the place. But for me, that's how I understand, and that's how I remember to, to, okay, he said this. Oh, I remember him saying that over there. Let me just draw a big line over across the whole Bible and an arrow over there. That's how it works for me. That may not work for you, but what you want to be able to do is understand maybe where something starts. You know, so let me, let me just use this example we just used. If you go to that, that section in James... James 2, James 2, um, if you're able to, to have something to take notes here, you'll be able to see how he is structuring what he's trying to say. And you're going to be able to go, okay, here, he's saying this, and then he's saying this, and that's built upon that, and then he's saying this, and he's saying because of this, and then for that, and then for this, and because of that, and you're going to be able to track it, and it's going to make sense. A lot of times, if you're just reading it, you're not able to make those connections. And so you would, you would, you would see, as you started off there, James 2, verse 14, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Okay. So James begins this section, and he's asking a question here. If you say you have faith, but you have no works, is that the kind of faith that can save? All right? And then, um, just to kind of show you what I'm talking about, here's what I've done in my Bible. I got things listed, and it's just this, and that, and then this, and then that. And what I'm trying to do here is be able to see where he's going. Okay, here's this point, then he's got this, this point and that point, and he's making these things connected to one another. And then you'd get all the way to the end, and you'd go, okay, here we go, verse 26, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. <coughs> and the point is, if you're, if you're writing notes, or you're marking in your Bible, or you have some way to keep track, you're going to be able to see Right in the middle there, you got this really interesting statement about being justified by works uh, included with faith and not just faith alone. 
But you would see, okay, wait, he started here and he's making all these points built upon it. And the whole thing is for him to be able to say, if you say you have some kind of faith, but you have no works, your faith is useless. It's dead. It's void. It means nothing. But what you, what you got to be able to do is learn to track with an argument. And you, a lot of times that's just not doable if you're not able to mark it up or write it out, you know, make some kind of listing so that you can actually see how it's, how it's unfolding. A lot of times if you're, if you're familiar reading it, one of the things that Paul does incredibly often is he begins a point, totally detaches from it for a number of paragraphs, and then just comes back to it again. And, but but you're, you're not going to know that if you're not marking things up, if you're not writing things out. you got to be able to see, okay, he started here. Started talking about uh, this issue, and then right here, though, it looks like he kind of just jumps over and then deals with something else. And then he comes back again to it. Um, but if we're just reading straight through, oftentimes that can be missed. And oftentimes what can happen is we begin to build theology because, oh, well, he said this in the verse before. Well, what if that verse before wasn't about that point? It was about something else. And this verse is now him coming back to that first thing that he talked about. So um, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying here is that I really want you guys, again, if you don't want if, if to mark it up here, have some way where you can write, take notes, be able to keep track of what's going on. There's a really good um, thing that you guys can use. It's called Look at the Book. Uh, John Piper puts these videos out. I remember um, the first time I watched one of those, I, somebody sent it to me and they said, hey, you should watch this. This is a really good way to study your Bible. And I'm like, oh, great. So I open it and I see him drawing lines everywhere. And I'm like, no way, Piper reads his Bible that way too? You know? Um, so, but it's very helpful because what you will learn to do is see how these paragraphs are connected to one another. They're not just random. They're connected to one another. So I want you to be able to see how to continue to build things on one another and, and make those connections. Also, um, it will help you to keep track of things that are discussed previously in the Bible. So if there's something that's brought up in the Bible before, um, don't think that it's there for no reason. So let me give you a couple of examples, and I want to see if you guys are able to draw your minds to what, it, what kind of connections you might have in the Scriptures. These are kind of going to go, I guess, from easier to harder. But here's the first one. Um, Psalm 37, you don't have to go there necessarily. I'm just going to read them quickly. You can go there if you want. But Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Anybody got an idea what that sounds like? Jesus saying, come to me, I'll give you rest. Okay. All right. What is it? Okay, what on there? What on the Sermon on the Mount? Close. Meek shall inherit the earth. Okay, so yes, right? You come across something in the Psalms, and it goes, oh, okay, here we go, the meek shall oh, inherit the land. What does that sound? Oh, it sounds like Jesus saying the meek shall inherit the earth. Those things, are not, those things are not meaningless, 
But if you don't keep track of it some way, if you don't mark it up or write it down or do something, right? The, the Bible is a book that is building on itself all of the time. And the best way for you to remember that and keep track of those things is to be able to write them down. Mark it as cross-reference in your Bible. Oh, yeah, Matthew 5. Boom, boom, boom. So you have it there. Here's another one. A little more obscure, sort of. Genesis 41, verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How about that one? Anything come to anybody's mind with that text? Right. Um, Luke mentions that. Luke mentions that Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years of age. Now, there's a, there's a dozen or you know, however many connections here between Joseph in uh, the Old Testament and the ministry of Christ. But again, it's those things like that. You know, the, Luke is the only gospel writer that makes mention of that. But we might read it and, and go, all right, Luke, who cares? Oh, whatever. He's 30 years old when he began his ministry. But he's not mentioning that just for no reason. He's mentioning that to draw your mind back to things that happened in the Old Testament. He's wanting you to see that Jesus' life is connected in some way to Joseph. So things like this. I'll give you another one. Mark 1. Mark 1, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him, Jesus, out into the wilderness. Does that language in any way ring a bell? The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. <clears throat> wilderness, I would think of Moses. The Spirit drives or leads people. Sure. Okay. So maybe there's something there for sure. Anything else? I'm not sure what, what uh, text you'd be referencing. Let me read you this. Genesis 3. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man out to the east of the Garden of Eden and placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So again, when Mark says something like Jesus is driven out into the wilderness, it is the very same language that is used about Adam being driven out into the wilderness. And those kind of things are intended to, to, for you to make connections with one another. This is going to be something I'm going to talk about on Sunday in the fact that what Mark is trying to draw your mind back to is uh, how Christ is functioning in a way as Adam was, as a representative. Adam is driven out into the wilderness, and now Christ is being driven out into the wilderness. So these kinds of things, when this language is used, the, uh, 
<laughs> there are... Um, now, I, I don't want to say that every single word in the Bible is necessarily, you know, intended for you to make some kind of connection back. You know, it says, and, it's not like, oh, I remember back there in, you know, Judges 8, it said, and, and then this happened. <laughs> the, not every single thing there is intended for that kind of connection. But, but all, most of what is in the Bible, when you see, you know, gospel writers or something like, uh, you know, something in a letter, and they're saying something, and it has some kind of connection back into the Old Testament. It's not there randomly. They're wanting you to draw your mind back to that. So the best thing that you can do is mark that. You know, make some note of it. Write it down somewhere so that you don't lose track of it. 